You're listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructed Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Even or Odds Podcast. I'm your host, Mason, and today I'm joined by... Trey McLarnon. <laughs> uh, is this an every time thing? Uh, well, you keep having me back. I wasn't really sure if that was going to happen, but so far, you've just asked me to stick around. I don't know why. I'm very old. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be the reason why. <laughs> I gotta get my trade time while I can. Trey, do you just want to hop right into what the episode's about this week? No chit-chatting? Yeah. Sure, why not? <laughs> Let's talk about how to win a PPDQ. That seems to be what we've said the podcast is about, so it was probably good that we get that in within the first five episodes. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree there. It was a thing, too, where, like, you know, in the first podcast, we do our introduction, we do a pilot episode, and in classic pilot episode, it's nothing like the real show. <laughs> <laughs> completely yeah. different. But we, we thought about doing just set reviews every time until the show was over, but then we realized that they, like, don't put out sets often enough, and that that's probably not a good way to go. <laughs> And that we don't want to be reviewing just 10 more cards from Ravnica every time until we run out of cards. It would have been pretty good, though, if we went back and did old sets. We're like, listen, we haven't been around as long as the other podcast. Let's do Dominaria real quick. <laughs> and then we start getting really deep. All right, we're going to give you our top 10 Homelands cards. It's going to be strong. They're mostly Minotaurs. Yeah, a lot of Minotaurs. It's very good, especially like, at that point, we're going to be H players. So we've gone so casual. <laughs> No, but uh, no, seriously, you know, before we get really into it, I do want to say thank you for all the positive feedback and the negative feedback as well. Like, if, if you have negative feedback, we honestly really want to cure it. It's very helpful because if we, all we hear is positive stuff, we can never, like, improve, and we have to have that negative feedback as well. Yeah, most assuredly. Like, we want honesty from you guys, and we want to provide a show that's, that's entertaining and useful to you. And so if you have things that you want to hear or you have things that you think we can do better, let us know. Uh, and we'll try to incorporate those things into the show. I mean, even with this, we're recording with a different setup now to try to improve some of the audio qualities that we had before. Um, so hopefully this is a better listening experience than the last episode. Yeah, before we tried, we were across the state from each other, and now we're face-to-face. Yeah. This is the way podcasting was meant to be done. <laughs> <laughs> Back when I was a kid. No, but uh, yeah, let's just hop right into how to win a PPD, because I think... Well, first off, we're bearing the lead with our podcast. We talk about our podcast being one that's going to help people win PPDQs, and our second episode is just telling them how to do it, which right. is bad on us. Great for you, I guess. You only have to listen to two episodes of the show. Yeah. Whatever. We're redefining the way they do podcasts every episode. <laughs> no, but let's talk about the first thing that I think a lot of people will think about when they're thinking about how to win a PPDQ, and that's deck selection. So, Trey, how do you start by with the deck selection, keeping in mind that we're recording this the weekend before a new PPDQ season starts? So we're doing a lot of things we're talking about right now. Right, yeah, I mean, the first thing that you have to try to think about is that what does it look like that, or what's the best that you can predict of what the metagame is going to look like? And you have to try to figure out what the likely top performing decks are going to be, or at least the top played decks, so that you can try to figure out if you want to play one of those decks or if you want to try to attack that metagame in some way. And I think that's really the first step. And it's just, in a situation like this right now, when we're on the first week of a new standard and we have the first PPTQs coming up, that's hard because there's limited information. And so there's a, a lot of guesswork. You have to look at what standard was like during the last set, see what types of things that you think may have survived the rotation that are going to be archetypes that people are familiar with and that they're going to likely lean towards uh, as a result of that because they don't, wanna, they don't have enough time to necessarily learn something new that they may want to lean on something that they feel like they might be even just 50-50 with because they were more familiar with that style of deck in the previous format. And then look at the available 
um, deck dumps that are there, which is one. <laughs> yeah. At the time of this recording, it's Wednesday before the season starts. So we have one deck dump. We'll have one more, I think, on the Friday before it starts. So we have very little information about what we're supposed to be doing. Right. But then getting into that point and, and then just trying to pick something that you think is going to give you a good chance against your anticipated metagame uh, and then just to proceed from that point. Yeah, no, totally. It's a thing, too, that's interesting, you know, specifically about deck selection. Especially it's great that, you know, Guild of Ravnica just came out because we get to really experience this with our listeners and talk about it. There are so many new cards and new decks and new archetypes that have been born that were nothing like, we're not even close to a thing, three weeks ago. And it really changes the, the mindset and the layout. And it's really hard, too, to think about what other people are going to play. Because it's a weird thing, too, with PBTQ, especially at the beginning of a season... The, not all the PPDQ players are going to be people that pay attention to the deck dump, right? They're going to have no idea that, like, Mono Red's probably the deck you should be gunning for because it's so efficient and it punishes the other decks, right? Like, if you're trying to gun for something like that, and Green White Tokens have showed so far that these decks are great. And then as we're recording this, the Boros Aggro deck is really popping up right now. And there's, like, this mid-range aggressive Boros deck that you need to keep an eye out for. So it's weird, too, so you have to think almost about what will other people be bringing to the table, especially in the early weeks, which is a thing you don't normally have to think about as much in later times, but I don't know about you, but it's something I think about a lot when it comes to PBDQs. Do you think about like what the local area is going to be playing? Because you do kind of get a feel for most of the people you're going to play against. Yeah, absolutely. And then the second part of it is, too, is that especially going into this first week, card availability is a real issue. Mm-hmm. There might be decks that people are interested in or based on the play styles that you normally see that like this might be a deck that somebody's going to want to play, but it's mostly new cards. And the, the numbers that you're going to see of that deck represented are likely low just because they can't physically get the cards. There's a limited number of those things available. You can't get it shipped from online providers to you to get there because the set doesn't release until this weekend. And so you you have a, a real concern about that. And so it's going to be what type of archetypes are easy for people to put together that they can actually get access to the things that they need. Uh, another key point out on deck selection is the thing that we're not saying that I feel like a lot of people do when they're making their choice is identifying or feeling like I'm X type of player that I play aggro's decks or I play control decks or I play tempo decks or, uh, you know, that's my, I'm the white weenie guy or I'm the infect guy or whatever, like whatever it is that you do or identify with that you're like, that's me, that's who I am. And that's the decks I play. And those are the only decks that I'm good with. I think that that's a trap that, that people fall into a lot, and I think it's a really bad way to approach deck selection because you're just artificially limiting yourself from a whole swath of opportunities. And there's going to be times and seasons when you're going to do really well by doing that because your particular deck that you like to favor is going to line up well for the metagame for that particular time. But then every other season, you're just setting yourself up for a, a difficult road and a lot of hard sledding just because you're not exposing yourself or opening yourself up to a different kind of range. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. And I really, I really want to dig on this point because I think it's a huge thing for PPTQ and it's somewhere I want to get to too. It's not even seasons, Trey. We're talking like the metagame shifts weekly to bi-weekly with standard. A lot of the times, the first couple weeks, it's really crazy. Then the pro tour happens. Then about two weeks after that, we kind of get the last bit of the metagame. And then the last weeks or so, the, the PPTQs, there's normally a deck that rises up that attacks the metagame. Mm-hmm. So even though there are small changes along the way, the decks change each week, right? So it could be a thing where at the beginning of the format, Black White Knights is a very good deck. The format isn't quite solved. It's aggressive, has good answers, and it's fine. But then Pro Tour happens, and we realize Black Knight, Black White Knights, not really what it's about. We need to be playing Red Black. Red Black is a similar deck, more efficient, more lean. It's got more hours put into it, and it's just been proven to be better. But if you're still the Black White Knights guy, it becomes very hard to win. 
and you're almost handicapping yourself. So when you're thinking about deck selection, Trey, and this is, I'm kind of have a leading question here. Do you always choose the best deck in the metagame? No. How, how do you choose your deck? It, it depends. You know, I'll look at the best deck and, and sometimes I will just play it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are often times that that is what it is that I'll do. Then the second thing is, is whether or not I have a good way to attack that deck and the other decks that are going to be there. A good example of this is from Last Standard. The red-black and blue-black mid-range were two of the most popular decks that were there. And those decks had very specific plans for each other and ways to attack the other decks that were there. But then there was a, a Bant approach of the Second Sun deck that did a, a good job of attacking both of those decks and that both of those decks had a poor job of interacting with because they weren't built in such a way to have a plan against that type of a strategy because it wasn't something that was there. So there were, and it was only a matter of a couple of weeks, it's not the entire season, but there was a a time period of a couple of weeks where I thought that that deck did an excellent job of attacking the top two decks while they had a difficult time interacting with that deck. Mm -hmm. But then, later in the season, I also just played Red Black. Yeah. You know, and so it just varies of, if, if it appears that there is a deck that can effectively attack the top decks, and can give them a difficult time in a way that they may not be anticipating, I will spend time looking into that as an option. Mm-hmm. But you have to also have the discipline when you're doing that to realize when you're wrong, and to realize when you are wasting time, and that the decks have reached a point of being tuned and, and being efficient that you are better served by trying to leverage playtesting and leverage skill and leverage time spent playing the best deck because it is that much better at, at, at a point in the metagame. Yeah, for sure. I think the Fog deck really shows that too. Where like the Fog deck was very well positioned for like the PT metagame and the week after that, it did well. You know, we saw people like Auden put up top 16s. We saw Efro top 8 a GP with it. We saw lots of success from basically 74 of the same 75. Like, you know, lots of minor changes in those decks. And then the week after that, it kind of became a joke because people adapted to it, right? And I think that's a very real thing to pay attention to when it comes to PBDQs. I want to talk about myself for deck selection here. I'm curious... To me, the perception is that other people like joke that I switch decks a lot. Is that a perception you have of me that I'm like almost constantly juggling balls? I, I don't know that that's true, and maybe that's only because one, we play test together. Sure. And two, I don't necessarily play the same deck throughout a season, right? It's about making a determination for the tournament that you're going to be playing the deck for. Right, And I do think that there's some value in playing a deck, playing it consistently, becoming a master of that deck but as you play more and as you go through years and you play more of different styles of decks and everything else you can build up a skill set for archetypes that you while you can gain specific matchup information that you can get up to speed faster and those kinds of things and so i don't know that you switch an obscenely uh, large amount or to a detriment it's more about like okay i thought I, I see it that you approach it as that you thought that this was the best deck for a particular weekend, and the next weekend you may not think the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, definitely. And there might also be times, which happens to everybody, is that you didn't have enough time to test. Yeah. And you picked a deck that you thought you were going to have a good time with, and you thought that you were going to have a good tournament with, and you thought that you were going to have a good result with. And then you play the event, and that doesn't happen. And instead of just punishing yourself for for some reason and being like well this is the deck i picked i have to play it for the rest of the season because this is the choice i made why if you didn't have a good time and you didn't have a good result and you know and you don't think that that's the thing that you want to be doing there's other answers look for something else yeah no i i think you know a good example of that for me personally was the blue black mid-range deck going into the last rpdq i think i played two leagues with it and then i played it 
in a RPTQ where I lost in top eight to some old has been, and, <laughs> and then every time, uh, and then I went to a GP and went X five with it, which isn't like a stellar record or anything, but it's like not the worst for like the amount of practice I put into it because it was a deck that I really liked and it's a style I play a lot. I play a lot of aggressive leaning mid range decks that sideboard into tempo decks with negating spell pierce. Like, all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like you know, you joke about, like, oh, I'm the infect guy, I'm the Mardu guy, I'm, like, the negate guy, kind of, you know? Right. Uh, so, that's interesting to me, because I think when I'm thinking about PVDQs, I normally go one of two directions. And it kind of depends on where I'm at with the grind at a time, and with Magic just in general. Where, if I, it's kind of like the RPDQ, where it's like, I, I have to play all these modern PVDQs, and I'm busy at work, and I have to go play this GP, and I have to test Legacy for the GP because I'm playing Legacy first. So, like, in theory, I'll hopefully not play Standard after this RPDQ, right? I, something has to give, right? So I'm going to pick this blue-black mid-range deck because my friend Autumn did really well with it. They gave me a sideboard guide. I know the deck's good, and I love playing it. And that's mm-hmm. all I need to, like, go with the deck at a time. And other times it's like, no, I'm going to play red-black, and I'm going to grind 40 leagues before this RPDQ and 20 more after the RPDQ before this GP. And it really switches up for me a lot. Like, this coming weekend, for example, you know, coming to deck selection, I think you and I kind of both have locked in on a deck for this mm-hmm. new Guilds of Ravnica standard. Your deck seems very reasonable and appropriate for a week one deck. Mine does not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, like I'm playing this blue-black disinformation campaign, like, grindy control deck that looks like it's going to 5 once on Moto and then never be seen again, and that's the vibe I've gotten from other people whose opinions I really respect, and I'm like, yep. Yeah. But that deck's also a blast to play. Yeah. And, like, that's the that's the other consideration, too, is that, especially at the PPTQ level, right? Because you listen to a lot of Magic content for, for GPs and Pro Tours and stuff like that. Like, like there there's a certain number of decks that can win a GP. Yeah. Right? And there's a certain number of decks that can win a PT, right? But, like, there's a lot of decks that can win a PPTQ. Yeah. Like, that's a different <laughs> that's a different kind of deal. Like, it really is. That those tournaments are, are just of a different structure, they're of a different size, and there's different opportunities that are there. And especially this kind of a grind, like, you know, you go to GPs, you might go, even if you go a lot, you might go to two GPs a month, mm-hmm. right? And that's like, you're going to a lot of GPs. Like, for PPTQs, you might play, like, five PPTQs in a month, Right? You might play one on Saturday, one on Sunday. The next week, play one on Saturday, one on Sunday. And then the next week, play another one, right? And, like, that's a lot That's a lot of events in a very small amount of time. And while there are only limited opportunities to qualify, and it's not just a thing that you should just throw away, because, like, you have to win the tournament, and you have to go in there, and you have to have a deck that's reasonable to do that. You know, there is a little bit more liberty that you can take of exploring options and exploring things that you can do you know, if you have a strategy that you think is reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. I think I agree with everything you just said. And the, the thing I would want to add to that is also knowing where your comfort level lies with the deck too. Where it's a thing like I just, you know, if you don't know me and you're listening to this podcast, I just told you I, I like to play blue-black mid-range decks, right? I like to play these tempo decks. So I'm telling you about this controlling thing that sideboards into negate plus the new Glensive Siphoner, right? It's like, oh, wow, really? Okay, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, that, what a stretch. Like, it's, you know, not the most absurd thing in the world for me to do that. And even if the deck's not as good, it's a weird thing, too, where, like, I have confidence. And, you know, this is, like, a thing we're talking about late at the end of the episode, but, like, if I go into a PPDQ, 99% of the time, I'm pretty sure I have a, a chance to win it, right? Like, I have just no doubts. And it's a weird thing, you know, we're going to talk about it more later, but it's like, once you've done, th- once you've won one, the next one's easier. And then, like, when you start chaining them off, it becomes a whole lot easier. 
Um, but yeah, so but I don't I don't want to get there. That's for the later in the right. podcast. Um, I do want to say another thing about Dexalation, and this is something that you kind of touched on, and I don't really want to kind of contradict myself, mm-hmm. but there's there's two different situations that you can find yourself in when you're going for deck selection. There's there's the the weeks when you have time, uh, you know, opportunity that you can do a lot of testing, you can spend time brewing, you can spend time exploring rogue strategies, you can do all of these different things because you have the opportunity and the time to put things in and to make it happen. And then you have the weeks when life's going on and you're busy and you're working late and you have familial obligations and you have all of these other things that you have to do and you don't have a lot of time, right? That's where uh, the weeks when you have a bunch of time, I think it's useful to put in work on decks that are outside of what your range would be and to explore different things. And and it's going to make you a better player even if you end up not deciding to play those decks because when you play against those decks, you're going to have a better understanding of how they work and what's important and the things that matter in those type of matchups that you might not if you never test that kind of a strategy. And then on the weeks when you don't have a lot of time and when you can't put a lot of work in and when you have to make those choices... Lean on the top decks in the format. Lean on the things that fall within your comfort zone. There's nothing wrong with doing those things, especially with the amount of events that there are, right? Like it might be that one week I have the opportunity to put in a lot of time and I make a Bant Sun deck that I think is really good. And then I might have a week later where it's like, I didn't have time to play test at all. And so I just picked Brad Nelson's red black deck or whatever and I played it because I didn't have time to test, but that dude played Magic for like 80 hours this week. And so I just use that time to my advantage when I'm trying to make that selection. And so I think that it can be useful to get into things that fall into your wheelhouse under those circumstances. And then other times, if you have more time to test, explore other options. And then over time, your range gets wider. And then the things that you can slot into that expand when you're trying to make those deck choices. It also frees up time later too, right? Like I spent a lot of time this week building black green decks. I mean, I I must have built 30 different black green decks. So many black green decks are just one or two cards different, tried them in a league, talked with them for hours. Like, it's funny, like, you can see Trey's like, you really did. Yeah, <laughs> like, my messenger notifications will speak to this. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I did so many. Like, I think I had, like, 30 of them, right? But now it's like, all right, I have, like, a preference of black greens. Like, okay, I couldn't figure out what the right list is, but I'm confident, like, a pro's going to do it or a moto's going to do it. And then now when I come back in later, I can kind of get a feel for things. I already, I've already got these reps going. So that when the week does come in black, white nights or black, green, mid-range, you know, like those kind of decks come back around in the cycle. It's like, okay, I'm ready. I can hop back into this point because I've put this time in. Mm-hmm. And there's, you can learn a lot, too, from playing a strategy that's, you like, when you're playtesting a deck, you normally can tell if the deck is close to good. You're like, man, I lost all those games, and it felt like I did something dumb or something just, like, Work, work broke really weirdly, right? Where like I drew nine cards and they were all tap lands, right? Like that's really weird. Like I, I draw one untapped, I win or something, you know, something absurd mm-hmm. like that. You can only tell those things compared to like, oh, I got mana flooded, blah 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 blah. Like like you know the difference in those games. At least personally, I can tell that. And having that with black green, I felt that a lot. Where it's like, that's why I kept chasing the dragon almost, right? It's like, right. man, my deck's so close to being good. I gotta try this. I gotta try this. And I think that's really important. I think this does a great job segueing into the next thing though what you were talking about which is preparation for an event trey tell how do you normally prepare for an event now you know you don't know trey was a lawyer before so his time was much uh more structured i would say it's not that you're not working now because you you are doing like movie stuff and film stuff and all, all that but your time is weirdly disjointed where before you would always have a certain kind of structure can you talk about that because i think that's going to relate to more people and you know 
myself as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you're right that you know for the last eleven years I worked a, a, a lot of hours. You know, I, I was a litigation attorney. I did a lot of time at work, and I had limited time to contribute to, to Magic because I'm also married. And so I have to put in time to maintain that relationship as well as, you know, other friends and those kinds of things. And that takes a lot of time. And it's hard to get in the necessary reps with magic that you need to in order to stay at a competitive level if you have those goals. Um, so, you know, I tried to look at content from other people, uh, listen to delightful podcasts like Even Odds in order so I can get the, uh, you know, uh, information from other sources that I might be able to use, like trying to find ways that I could double do things right like because i can listen to content while i'm driving or i you know working out or doing whatever like you could do other things and you could get this information in some way reading articles and looking at that kind of stuff and then i also set a regiment for playtesting. like if i was in the middle of a grind you know i very often at 10 o'clock every night ran a league yeah right with mason or you know the rest of our team right and like we would run leagues and at any time that any of us ran leagues we would then have a group chat where we share results talk about what matchups we played, talk about what we thought about the decks, so that we're not only getting that playtesting information from other sources, but from playing and birding each other on the games that we're actually playing, but then we're also building metagame information based on the uh, games that we're playing with that the other people aren't around. Like if Mason ran a league and I wasn't there, I'm going to get some kind of report as to what his record was, what he played against, what, what he thought about the deck, and whether or not he's going to keep exploring that or whether or not he thinks we need to move on and i'm going to be doing the same thing about whatever other deck is going on and we're not always playing the same deck so that we can try to get a broader range of information uh during that time yeah i think there are two really great examples that we can use from this i think one happened yesterday one happened almost a year ago so last night i played with this blue black deck and i was like a weird thing I noticed is against the red decks, like I was taking four off meme, fa- oh, sorry, risk factor, not meme factor. I'm on a podcast, <laughs> I gotta say the names correctly, uh, off risk factor. Which, which risk factor, if you don't know, is uh, a red and two colorless. <laughs> it's an instant that um, it, your opponent then has a choice of either they take four damage or let you draw three cards. Yes. I thought you were going to make a joke how you put it in the unplayable category from last week and it's blown up standard, much like I got the sleepers right. Oh, I'm sorry, that's... Maybe that's the after show. I'm sorry. Who knows? Yeah, uh, I, I still contend that risk factor will be overplayed <laughs> from what it is. Uh, however, it, it is a better card than Browbeat was. I will say that. Oh, no doubt. That, that it, I think, whatever. That's neither here or there. What does matter is, I was noticing my deck is really good at grinding through cards. And your instinct is, like, if you have, like, a decently high life total, you just take four. Because three cards is a lot of cards, right? Um, but what I noticed is, I can just beat cards. I can't beat direct burn all the time, right? Like, that's really hard to beat. So I started, like, if I was below 15, they drew three. Because my deck is really good at trading cards for cards. And what I really noticed this was when I won and I lost a game when I had all these removal spells in hand. And they were like Vraska Contempts, too. And I, like, used some of them to gain some life, but it wasn't enough, right? So then I put in the chat, like, hey, like, I think if you're playing a control deck and you're, like, above this much life, I kind of just defaulted to drawing three cards. And now we don't know if that's true or not, but what I did is I proposed a hypothesis, right? And I put it in the chat. And now when Trey, maybe he plays a league of blue black or Ellison or whoever, right? Anyone plays a league with the deck, they might be like, Mason said this. I'm not sure what's the right choice. I'm going to default to this. And those kind of experiences and play patterns, when we get them over so many people, obviously it matters game to game, but it's a good thing to learn and you get like little nuggets from, right? Mm-hmm. The other good example of this, I think, is back 
for the modern RPTQ almost a year ago now, where the only way I prepared for that event was I watched Todd Stevens stream. I read some deck lists on uh, Moto, like the Moto dumps on Goldfish. I kind of like looked at sideboards to see what people were doing. And I watched you play a bunch of leagues. I watched you try to figure out a deck because I was like, I'm going to play Titan Shift. I'm kind of in. I'm not going to practice. And I literally didn't practice for the RPDQ. And I lost playing for my Pro Tour invite. Mm-hmm. So it's like you can get good information experiences if you're doing it right. And it doesn't even have to be a thing where it's like serious the whole time. You guys aren't laughing and joking. We are doing those kind of stuff too like we're having a good time while we do it which makes it more fun too yeah and that's a key there's, there's a key thing uh, that i want to say on, on two points there one this is a game you know, everyone always talks about the grind and we talk about the competitive and how we want to win and all of those other kinds of things but this is a, a game and this game is fun and you should have fun when playing this game yeah i want to hop in there and say real quick arena's really shown that to a lot of people have you seen like Brad Nelson, Emma Handy, Sam Black, they're all tweeting about, I stayed up till 3 a.m. last night playing Arena. Arena is like, reminds me why I love Magic and why, how much fun it is. Right. So just keep that in mind. Keep going. I just wanted to point it out, like, yeah. Arena is a great example of this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's the thing, like, when when anyone who's listening to this or us sitting in this room, like, we didn't start playing Magic because we were like, this will satisfy my competitive nature, right? Like, it was... This is a game that I enjoy playing and being around people that also enjoy playing it. Like, it's a fun time. And you will do the best with your preparation if you are also testing with people who see the game in that way or approach the game in that way, you know? And so one of the things that I do is that, like, the people that I travel with and that I play with and that I test with are people that I also would want to be around if we weren't playing Magic. And there are other people who may also be good players and everything else. But like, if you don't have that dynamic where you're going to have a good time putting in that time and doing those kinds of things, you need to find that. And you need to try to focus on that if you can. Because like, it should be a fun experience. Because you have to dedicate way too many hours to it and do too much with it to do it if it's not having a, a fun time. If you're just like, Because then also, like, let's say you have a bad league. You 2-3 a league or, you know... I don't know why you played the last game, but, you know. <laughs> you, you won four to yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Right. But, like, and you're just you're just having to grind it out. Like, then all of a sudden you get those additional psychological factors of, like, well, why did I waste my money? Why did I waste my time? Why did I do this? And I'm just losing. But, like, if you were having fun with your buddies while you're doing that, it's like, well, that that sucked. But, like, it's not that bad because I'm having a good time. And then the second thing that I wanted to do and, and mention is that, you know, uh, Mason, you were talking about like listening to Todd Stevens and then looking at deck lists and everything else. This is a, on preparation and deck selection. This is a mistake that I watch people make over and over and over again when playtesting and when trying to prepare for an event. They look up a list from someone who plays way more magic than they do, like Todd Stevens. Like, I play a lot of magic. I play magic practically every day. I play so much less magic than Todd Stevens, it's obscene right like that's all he does if i get a list from todd stevens and then change five cards before i ever play with the deck why am i doing that oh my gosh yeah that goes back to a thing where you know it's a weird thing too where you and i knew each other for maybe four years now but we didn't really know each other until a year and a half ago i would say right like that's yeah, kind of that like seems about right yeah so it's been about that timeline and that was kind of a thing that we had where we had a rule where it's like we're almost positive these cards are not good, but we're going to play the league, and we're only allowed to break that rule if they tweeted or said in their interview, this was garbage. So an right. example is Wyatt Darby's red deck. He goes, 
treasure map was garbage. All it did was get me a, a, a DQ almost. Right. I almost got disqualified for it, right? So it's like, all right, we're not going to play with treasure map. We're allowed to take that out. But be almost 1,000% of the time, we'll play the exact deck that did well to like get a feel for that. Yes, and that doesn't mean that that will be the deck that we sleeve up for the event. Yeah. It, it, it's two things. One, you're using the fact that someone had the ability to play test more than you did, and you're using the information that they gained. Don't make substitutions to that with no information, with no knowledge. But then it's also not a sacred cow. It doesn't mean that you can't make changes to it once you get reps with the deck, once you can see things that are working or not working, because the metagame you're playing in is not the same as it was when they were testing it. Because that deck now exists in the form that it is. And so people adapt, things shift, the decks evolve. You can still do that, and you probably should. But you just shouldn't do it until you have an opportunity to get the information. And if you don't have time to get the information, play the 75 that they posted. Because you don't have the time to figure it out. But just going on blind intuition that you think that these choices are bad, and that your choices are better, with no reps, no preparation, no time... Uh, it's a mistake that I see consistently over and over and over again. And I know one of the reasons that people do it, we want ownership, right? We want to, we want it to feel like we had some part in the process. And I, I, I understand why that happens, but I think that you are, you are leaking value all over the place yeah. when you do that. And you don't want to leak anything all over the place because there's people around. It's un, it's unsanitary. This cardboard is very expensive. Do you know how much money is to the right of me right now? I can buy a nice livable house. Okay. Yeah. My preference is that Mason leaks nothing in this room. Exactly. There's a bathroom right there right? I have to. But no, I, I think that's a very good point too. And there is a big difference what we're talking about between we're talking big changes, right? We're not talking about like Mono Red was the deck to beat last week, so they had three life gain cards in their sideboard, and this week this is the deck to beat. I need to switch my sideboard like one card or two cards, right? We're talking big changes. I think that's important too, because like little changes I think you can make without playtesting a bunch. We're talking big like we're playing Team Energy with no Glorybringers. Glorybringer is garbage. It's like why? <laughs> yeah. You know you get to play Glorybringer. You don't have to play Glorybringer. Rest in peace. Yeah. But uh yeah, I think that's a very important thing. To, yeah. Uh, it happens all the time. People come up to me, they tell me that they saw a deck that they got really excited about and they want to play it and they say all I'm going to do is change these seven cards. And it's like how uh, the first question I ask every time is how many games have you played with that deck? Mm -hmm. And there are people who know me who get annoyed at me that I ask that. And they're like, none. And I'm like, why are you changing cards? You don't have any information. You know, I know that we've all played Magic for a long time, or you've played a lot of tournament Magic, and you have instincts, and you have intuition. And hell, you may be right. You may end up being right. But you just don't know yet. And you're you're not giving yourself an opportunity to learn. And you're also, you're also losing out on the playtesting that someone else did, because you're changing it without taking advantage of the fact that they reached those conclusions after hours and hours of using it. Yep. And that's definitely a thing too that, you know, we talk about a lot and we're going to talk about more here in a couple minutes, I'm sure, but it's a lot about what you want out of magic, right? A lot of people who are telling us this that we're bringing up are people who want to go to the pro tour. If you're a Johnny, I probably know you're a Johnny. And if you're telling me, yeah, I only changed seven cards and added black to the deck, <laughs> <laughs> which is a thing I had someone tell me, I just added a color. Like, oh, no cost, no cost. <laughs> but, you know, like those things, like they, 
they matter what your goals are, right? Like if you, if your goal is to play the sweetest browbeat deck possible, I'm going to support you and help you along that way. If your way is to get to the pro tour, I might be like, let's trim on the browbeats a little bit. Right. Like let's not play bump of the night and browbeat. Come on. So I think that matters a lot too. I just want to preface that too, that when we're talking about this, and this is something that I think maybe we should have done at the beginning of the show, we are always talking from the mindset of a spike and stuff like that, unless we say otherwise. So just wanted to preference that, you know, just want to say that. Now, before I move on off preparation for an event tray, I want us to each kind of tell our work schedule and what we did. Because to be honest, we've kind of dropped off this cycle a bit. And part of that is like your change in life. But like also, I'm not playing nearly as much as I was before. Mm-hmm. I'm still, I still play more magic than a human should. But <laughs> <laughs> but Trey, like a year ago now when we're pe- preparing for the modern RPDQ, uh, we weren't doing the film festival stuff. We mm-hmm. tell someone what your daily life was like so they get an idea of like, because I think, I think we probably went too overboard uh, to be honest, but I think there's a more measured approach in between what we're about to tell you. Because what we did was probably not the healthiest thing in the world. So you right. start off. Yeah, I mean. Because yours is extreme. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every day I got up at about 6.45. I went to work. Uh, I was, like I said, a litigation attorney. I represented injured people um, in claims that they had against insurance companies. Uh, I mean, trials, in court, doing depositions, all of those other kinds of things. Like heavy responsibility. And I would work until... 5.30, 6 o'clock at night, uh, I would come home, I would have dinner with my wife, I would try to spend some time with her, she would go to bed at approximately 9.30 or 10 o'clock, I would hop on moto with Mason, and we would play leagues till 12.30 or 1 o'clock in the morning, and did that five to seven nights a week, every night, and then on weekends, we would go to PPTQs or other events, play all day, whatever the result of or at the end, leave and then come home and play leagues yeah no so that's definitely a thing you know uh that i wanted to bring up because it's a thing where it's like yeah like regardless of one or loss one of us the other one probably had to queue and when they had to queue that meant well we got to keep playing right we're like we learned this we have to try this um so that was a very important thing i think to bring up was just that so i'm going to talk about my schedule real quick here so my schedule is kind of similar to trey um i would wake up at a route nine or 10, get ready for work, go to work, come home about six thirty-seven, And then this is where it got really extreme. It was like, I probably played a league before I played with Trey. And a lot of that is like, Trey has all these years of experience. He doesn't need to do that. I'm like just getting really into competitive magic. But for me, it was basically most nights I got home, I would play a league where I record CC, which you should listen to because I criticism on youtube.com and iTunes, uh, or, you know, something along that line, LR, I mean, I'm sorry, LTL, and I would do that, and then I would play the league, and then I might take like a 20-minute break before you got on or you messaged me, and then I would play more leagues. And the part that I don't tell you about all this is, with my job, I can listen to podcasts a lot, so I normally listened to one or two podcasts a day or a video a day. I also read, there's a lot of times where at lunch, when if, like if I have a, because of the way my job works with timing and stuff, I don't always have lunch with my coworkers, I would be at my desk eating and I'm reading an article. Like today, I read an article about Brian Gottlieb's reviewing his past top 10, which was nowhere near as good as our top 10 review process, of course. But it was still, you know, it's nice to see him try. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Some people get stuck in their old ways. It's tough to evolve, you know. Times are changing, you know, just like MTGO <laughs> leagues in the arena. Uh, but, you know, like I would do that and I'm eating and I'm reading an article while I'm doing it. Or I'm listening to a podcast while I've done it. And I've, I've been as extreme as before with my ADHD where I've started listening to a podcast while I'm reading an article and I had to stop one of them. But like, 
I have de- I devour content. Now, a lot of that was I had played a lot of other card games in my life, and I was catching up in Magic, right? I felt like I'm so far behind everyone else, and this is a thing that I heard from a lot of people that, like, a year and a half ago, I was probably better than the average bear. But between now and then, I've jumped the leaps and bounds. And part of that is I basically consume Magic content nonstop where I'm part of Magic content, or now I'm streaming Magic. And so it really is a thing where I think you have to do it a whole, whole lot. Uh, especially if you feel like if you feel like you want to get to the pro tour and you you know you're not as good as everyone else, but you really want it. I promise you, if you do the right things and work hard, you can catch up. You just have to be willing to put that time in, and that's not for everyone. Right. Yeah, and absolutely not. And it's different too. I mean, when I first started grinding competitively, like I played Magic seven days a week, every single day, and for more than a league. And this was actually before Magic Online was what it is now. I mean, like, I was in person playing events or testing, like, seven days a week with a team and with a group and, like, grinding all the time. And, you know, I did that for five years. I mean, like, an obscene amount of time where magic was a a totally consuming piece of my life in in that way. And now I still play, like you said, probably more magic than I should or more (laughs) magic than most people. But, like, it, it, you have to find that balance for yourself. And the other thing is, too, we're talking about doing all of these things. You have to identify like what you want out of magic, what your goals are, and then setting things to achieve those goals. And that, you know, one key thing, this goes, this goes beyond, you know, not to get too terribly philosophical, but this is a thing that always happens because I think that, I think that magic, uh, this is kind of transitioning into our next uh, topic here, um, which is into mindset. And, and I think that this matters is that, you know, one of the reasons that I have played this game for as long as I have played it, is because the mindset and the things that I approach from a philosophical standpoint in life influence the ways that I approach the game. And then the things that I learn about myself and learn from the game then influence my life. And so I don't think that it's too much to to think about that if you are not satisfied with where you are in magic, if you are not satisfied with the results that you are getting on magic, and if you are not satisfied with the way that you are moving towards your goals in magic, You have to take steps in order to change that. They're not just going to change. And that's true of magic and that's true of life. Like you can't be like, well, this will happen at some point. You have to set a plan and put something in action that I'm going to do these things in order to achieve the things that I want to achieve. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that a whole lot. And, you know, I think that is a great transition to the mindset. And I think this is a thing that's going to happen, I think, a lot in this podcast, where we're going to reference something to life to magic because it's something we both like independently noticed and both kind of brought up around each other. And it, I think it is a huge part of our lives where life and magic can work together. I know a lot of times you hear on podcasts, it's almost negative at times, right? Where it's like magic is going to work against you in life. And it definitely does that. No one's, no one's lying and saying it isn't, right? Like there are sacrifices that happen because of magic and all these things. But it can also be this thing where you learn things from magic and you learn things from life and they correlate between the two. And I think that's a big part. And that's an episode I think we're going to probably do down the road a little bit. But I did I didn't think that was something we wanted to touch on. I'm glad you hit that. The thing I want to touch on before we really get into mindset is I kind of did a bad job talking about mindset of winning in the last episode because I used the wrong words. So, which is important to use the right words because words are how we communicate when we, you know, communicate words matter (laughs) yeah who knew knew? (laughs) for years i didn't know this and then i just learned uh words have meaning but uh jokes aside you know i talked about how 
I think I think I don't remember exactly what I said. I listened to it yesterday to kind of get it fresh in my mind. I kind of forgot, but it was like winning. I said I think I said something along the lines of winning. You have to only want to win or something like that. And I misspoke. What I meant is you have to want to win. And I think that's a big thing. I was actually very upset at myself for putting that on the podcast. That's why it's the only thing I mended. It's also the only thing we did wrong, of course. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> wow, that spiked. Um, <laughs> regardless, uh, like when talking about winning, I think it's important to want to win. So an example I think about this is the last PBTQ season. You know, when we recorded the podcast uh, last the last time, I had just won a PBTQ the day before, and it was the last PBTQ of the season. And I had wanted to win, I had tried, but I hadn't like. I felt like, the, I guess the right, right way to say this is I had the really the pressure on to queue again because mm-hmm. the thing too with for myself I hold myself to an extremely high standard that I don't hold anyone else to really like I don't hold the same standard to myself that I do others not even close. And the thing where it's like, I it won't define me as a person, and it won't ruin me psychologically or mentally, or it won't ruin my game if I miss an RPDQ. But I'm so hyper competitive, I don't want to miss an RPDQ ever, especially with PBDQs ending soon. It seems like, which is great. We start a podcast on how to win a PBDQ, <laughs> and then last thing does the thing. And they're like, we're going to announce the history of PBDQs tomorrow. So the time you're hearing this, PBDQs might be dead. Trey, our podcast died on the second episode because Watsy's keeping us down. Yeah. But regardless, uh, you know, I just don't want to miss it, which isn't like a a really healthy thing and it's kind of a do as I say not as I do when it comes to that but I really really wanted it and I played I think really well with a deck that I hadn't really played before you know we talked about like I 2-3 to the league I 3-2 to the league I 4-1 to the league like four weeks ago with the deck and then I was like that's good enough for me <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's important it's just when it talks about like winning a PBTQ I think wanting to win matters but knowing winning isn't the only thing is very important. I did a bad job saying that. So I just wanted to go over that real quick. Yeah, so it's weird. And this is a thing that, like, you know, there there are players, you know, who, who I've tested with for years, who I have tried to explain what I'm going to say to them for a long time. And it can take a difficult time to, for it to click, which is, so, for example, me personally, my goal is to play on the Pro Tour and to play consistently on the Pro Tour. I have played it in a Pro Tour, Um, but I want to play in more, you know, and so that's what it is that I'm trying to do. But when I'm going to things, my goal, while it is to win the event and to qualify, my primary goal above all else is play the best magic I can play and play better magic than I played last time. Mm. That is, that is what I'm trying to do. And that if you can follow that structure with the mindset that you also need to win the events that like... The results will come, mm. right? But if you lose an event and you played well, you accomplished your goal, even if you didn't win that event. You can't live and die on the last tournament you played in. Because Magic is a hard game, and you're going to lose a lot. I have lost a lot of Magic, and I'm going to lose a lot more Magic. And it will also help your mindset overall. Like, if you... Go to, a, go to an event and you paid money to travel there and you paid money to buy food while you were there and you bought cards and you sleeved things up and you took away time from your family and your friends and other things that you were going to do possibly with that time or you didn't go see the new movie or whatever it is that you didn't do and then you go and you owe two drop. That can hurt because it's like, I spent all this time and I did all this preparation. But like, okay, well, did you learn something new about magic that you didn't know? Did you play well? then you're accomplishing your goal in furtherance of the thing of qualifying. So that's the first part of it. And then the second part of it is that when you get put in the position, you have to be playing to win. 
And so it's a weird thing that like winning is the goal, but it can't be the only goal. Because then when it doesn't happen, the devastation and the setback that you get as a result of that pushes you so far away from where it is that you're trying to get to that taking that as the mentality is an op- is an obstacle to you. It's not a help to you. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I want to ask you a question, Trey, that I know the answer to, but listeners might not. Trey, why do you play Magic the Gathering? I play Magic the Gathering because it is one of the only things that I do in my life where I'm singularly focused. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting emotional now. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> we bring the last, bring the tears, a little salty, a little sweet. Yeah. Um, it is something that the game demands a lot of you. And it demands you to continually be better. And uh, that's something that I strive to not only in doing this, but in other things and everything else that I do. So, you know, that's the reason that I've played this game since 1994. Otherwise, I wouldn't keep coming to it. I play a lot of other games. I play board games. I play other things. I like games. Like, I play games because I like games. But there's a reason. As Mason looks around the room in a room full of games. But I don't play any other game as much as I play Magic. And it's because Magic is the best game. And Magic is the best game because it's more than just a game. Like, it, it constantly challenges you. You know, it's, it's something amazing to me to have something that you can learn how to do in 10 minutes and then to spend the rest of your life trying to be good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it asks you to be good at, too. Yes. Right? Like, especially when you approach it. And that, that's the thing about mindset. When we're talking about the podcast, we're always talking from a spike mindset because that's the mindset that we have. And it's easiest for us to approach that. For our mindset and the way we approach things, it always asks you of that. And it's great if magic isn't asking you of that, that of you, you kind of know when it is. And it really dedicates you. You know, I think it's important to talk about the reason you play magic is because it pushes you. Yes. And it pushes you to be the best version of you. And it pushes you mentally in a strategic mind, like a mindset. And the games are really fun. And it does this great job of pushing you towards these things that you enjoy doing and you like to do. And you can never just BS. No. It's so it's so hard to BS in magic and actually succeed. You can do it. It happens. But it just isn't the right way to do it. And it's important when we're talking about like PvDQ grinding, you know, the reason it's funny like people like said like oh i want to hit gold so that i can get the money and then maybe i can make a run at platinum and i can be a livable wage i can just play magic it's my job it's like if i hit gold that would be great because i'm qualified for four pro tours yeah i get to keep doing my like i get to keep living my life and i'm guaranteed to play these good rounds of magic that's the reason we're playing magic it's because like you know for me personally it's like i just want to play against the best players i can yes all the time and the reason I grind PBDQs is because I want to get to the Pro Tour and the RPDQs where the competition is better. And the reason I go to GPs is I don't go to GPs to cash. I don't go to GPs to like see, I like going to town and seeing around the town and the food is cool and it's a great part of GPs and it helps with the value prop of it. But like when I go to a GP and I miss cash, like at the last one, it's not a bad GP for me. No. It sucks I didn't get money, whatever. That's, I'm not, I'm not like a robot about it. But it's a good trip. I got to play so many good rounds of Magic. I got to play against so many pros and former pros and current Platinum pros. I got to play against a Platinum, like a newly minted Platinum pro. And I got to play an amazingly weird and awesome game against him. And I made some really weird plays that were that made sense in the context of the game. That if someone looking outside is like, why did he confiscation to a Bomac courier, right? <laughs> and, and like, like what is going on? And it's like. I made these plays, I did these things, and those are great. And that was worth all the money and all the time. 
you know, we're not playing to get money. We're no. playing for these experiences. And it's so annoying that magic's such a value prop thing. But Yeah, and it's a I thing you get into, too, where a lot of people will talk about, like, yeah, the pros. You know, it's a big issue right now. And I talked about it in a joking fashion uh, in the last episode. You know, the, the protest and pay the pros and all these other kind of things. It, that matters, and it's important. But it's not for the reason that I think people often think it is. It's like they want to be paid more so they can play more magic. Like, you know, and similarly, like, cashing an event is great because it makes it easier to play more events because they're not free to go to. Like, they cost a lot of money and you don't necessarily all have the opportunity or, you know, we don't all have the opportunity to just go to infinite events for infinite money because whatever. So winning or cashing and those kind of things are nice, but that's not the that's not the purpose of it the purpose of it is to be faced with the challenge rise to the challenge and continue to improve at the challenge and to to do something that demands so much of you and demands so much of your attention in the moment you know because uh the things that get revealed to you throughout that process are interesting not only in the game but also of what it can reveal to you about yourself if you're taking the time to look at it right and the ability to get to continue to do that and to get that experience at the highest levels is where you get the most of that, right? Exactly, yeah. Well, you need to have pros so that people like us can chase it, right? Like, that's the thing that I think gets missed a lot is, like, first off, I want the pros to be paid. I think it's absurd. So many things. I'm definitely 100% there with them. But the fact is pros play a vital part in the ecosystem of making the PPDQ system valuable, right? And I think it's talked a lot about how if all the pros quit, a new crop of pros would pop up, right? Which is 100% true. But how many times can that realistically happen before it stops? Maybe once. Mm -hmm. But then once the new generation of pros quit, the the lure and the desire, it's gone. And it, we need that for the pro tour. And I think that it's that's very important with the pay the pros things too. But you need to have pros that people like us want to chase and play them, right? Like I just said, part of the reason why I spent all this money to go to Richmond and eat and blah, 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 blah. A big part of that was like, I got to play against a platinum pro, right? right? Win or lose, I got, I got the opportunity. And that's something that's great for me. And that's what drives me. Right. So, and it's not only just from like, a, I want to chase that from a status standpoint. It's like, I want to chase that from a game standpoint, mm -hmm. right? Like I want to play against Jerry Thompson. I want to play against Seth Manfield. I want to play against, you know, Louis Salvato. Like I want to play against these guys because they have, you know, uh, PV, any of these people, you know, who, because they have reached a point in their skill level in the game. I don't care about their status. Yeah. I don't care about, you know, whatever. I, I would like to see them marketed more and those other kinds of things because it brings more people to the game, which I like. I wish Watsy made me care about their status more. I, 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 I wish it was awkward for me to talk to a Platinum right. Pro. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, I like it because they have, they have made the dedication to push themselves with the game to reach a level in the game from a strategic standpoint, from a play standpoint, that is difficult to obtain because of how much the game demands of you in order to get there. And so I want that to be able to continue to exist because I want to play against that. And I want to be able to learn from that. And I want to be able to be in kind of that crucible with those people. But I, I, I don't care about it in the sense of like, I want people, you know, I don't want to go to the pro tour because I want people to know who I am. I don't care. I don't care about that. I want to go because I want to be pushed at that level. And I want to be pushed at that point in the game. Uh, to see to see what it is that comes out, to see what it comes out in a result, but also to see what it comes out in myself. Yeah, hundred percent. I you know I, I think first off I want to say with this mindset thing we're coming to a close. We're wrapping this up here. This went way better than I thought. How we were going to talk about it, and I just kind of want to say I think this mindset. It's hard for me to say that it's the one that I think matters the most, or it's like the right mindset. 
because it's hard to just have a, a definitive right thing with anything in life, right? What I can say is, for my encounters with pros, like the ones I've met, the people I've met who have succeeded in magic, the people I look up to, this is a, a very similar pattern that I see get brought up every time. So I think it's important that, I think we did a great job talking about it and kind of expressing, really, especially for you, very open and honest with the listeners, and they can kind of get that. And I think even if that's not your the mindset that you have, I think adopting that mindset is very beneficial in magic. Uh, the story that I like to tell when I'm trying to explain this to someone who's new or someone will ask, a common thing I like to ask people is, what do you think I want out of magic? And I'll ask them that question I asked you, but I want them to tell me about it. Because I'm curious of the way people perceive me. Something I'm very interested just in life in general is the way people view and interact with other people. And the story I always tell is, so I'm in GP Atlanta. I make day two at X and two. This is back when X and three still made it. I win my first round of day two. The second round, I play against Corey Baumaster, uh, Brad Nelson's younger brother. This is during the tear. when this He's he's about to top eight his fourth <clears throat> GP in a row. He's top eight three in a row. So I'm kind of, you know, A, I'm standing in the way of this, like, goal thing, which is kind of awesome, too, because it's like, ooh, I might be the guy that stops this. Because I hit him here, he's probably out. Right. Very unlikely he makes it. So, uh, spoilers, he beats me. But he, <laughs> he beats me, and we have, like, this. But it's, like, very close. It's a very insane top deck. It's to the point, too, where, like, Brad's to my left. Seth Mansfield, who just won PT Ixalan, is like to my like top left. Everyone's grabbed around. Everyone is watching our game. Everyone's like, that was an insane game. I, I start to get up. First, I make a joke at Brad because I'm a jokester. Uh, and then I hear Seth say he lost. So I know, so, and Corey's like, what did that make you? He's like, X and three. The first thing I say is, Seth Mansfield's in my bracket. I hope I get to play against him next round. Do you know who I played against the next round, Trey? Seth Mansfield. Yeah. That was one of the best P- GP experiences. And if you've heard me on CC, you've heard me tell the story before. I don't, I don't know how to say it. I think it just kind of encapsulates me as a person perfectly. Where I played against Seth in the next round, I got to play another three great games against Seth, and I, I ended up winning that one, right? But it doesn't even matter that I won. Even if I lost there and I was X and four, it didn't matter. Because I got to play against a guy who was going to end up being his fourth GP top eight in a row and the literal Pro Tour champion from literally the week before. Like, he just won the Pro Tour. This is the next event he played, unless he played a Moto League like a psycho. And Which, actually, I know he didn't, because he told me afterwards, like, yeah, my Black Green Snake deck was, like, not that good. And they told me to switch to this, so I just played it. I asked him, I was like, I played against that Snake deck, like, seven times yesterday. You think it was bad? And he was like, yeah, basically. (laughs) So, I think that, like, that kind of encapsulates it. I think... While I thought we were going to kind of dive into what a mindset is about, I think talking about our mindset is the best way to do it, to kind of get people a feel of like, I think the best way to succeed in magic for most people, and this isn't for everyone, is you need to think about it as like why you love magic and play magic for the reasons you love magic. And it doesn't mean, I guess, I guess actually I did a bad job of saying the mindset thing. That's what matters is playing Mm -hmm. magic for the reason you love it. What we're telling you, what telling you these stories is our mindset and giving you an example. And I, I, to be honest, I do think that is like probably the best mindset is to love those things. But playing magic the way you love it and getting what you want from it and having it push you, I think is the best way to do it. And I think that's going to wrap us up, Trey. Is there anything you wanted to say about that? No, I think that that's absolutely it. You know, mm-hmm. is that, that that comes back to encapsulate the whole thing, right? Like you have to get to establishing what your goals are, what it is that you want out of it, and then also what magic is to you and means to you and then approaching it in that way you know we've told you the ways that it does for us you know at least for a certain extent and then making that fit for you your goals may be different than ours the things that you want to accomplish may be different than yours but that's also another thing that's beautiful to me about the game you know the people that sit around 
that just play kitchen table magic, which I have friends that do that, play the same game we do. Mm-hmm. They just play it differently in a way that that fits their life. And so it's about figuring out what that is and then making the steps and doing the things that continue on that path. Yeah. Think about this from almost a, a poetic stance, right? Part of winning a PPDQ is picking a deck. Another part is figuring out your mindset. Very similar. Preparation for the event, preparing for magic in general. And then the mindset thing kind of comes back in all around, right? They very much mirror each other. And figuring out what kind of player you are and how you respond to magic and rewarding yourself and making sure you stay in those healthy mindsets of not... We didn't even talk about tilting. That no. can be its whole oh, own episode. Yeah. That, and I thought we were kind of going to go there, but I think this is much better. Um, we're talking about those things, I think, matter so much more. Uh, and just pay attention to those things. They're, they're honestly what matters. Uh, if you like the podcast, uh, it really does help, by the way, to leave a review. When you leave a review, when search, people search for magic stuff, we'll pop up higher. We're already going to pop up a little bit because we're the new podcast uh, part of the tab, but a lot of people don't look there. So if you like the show, even if you don't, leave a review. It helps us out uh, in that way. Uh, you can find me at a lot of places. You ready for this, Trey? Rapid Fire Mode. You can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me on Facebook as Mason Clark. You can find me on my Twitch channel where I stream Sunday and Monday for the Trophy Majors where you can find the VOD at ConstructedCriticism.com. Oh, I'm sorry, YouTube.com slash ConstructedCriticism. My Twitch channel is Twitch.tv slash TheMasonClark. And then finally... My last one. You can find me each and every week, each and every other week on the Evens Odd Pod. <laughs> Trey, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at TreyMC. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at TreyMC. <laughs> you can find me on Facebook at Trey McClarden. Hashtag always, what was it? Always, uh, always promoting. Always promoting. That's right. That's right. I, I forgot the hashtag that people gave us. Hashtag a uh, shout out to Spencer and the CC family there. We love you guys. And once again, you know, big shout out to the Heasy Gaming Media for, for, for even more so Spencer. Who I, we, So this is the thing where we knew we were going to send the pilot to Spencer last week. We had no idea if Spencer wanted to support the podcast, wanted to work with us. It was a thing where we were like, I don't know. If this doesn't work, I'm going to like, we're going to just go our own way, I guess. But we want to work with these guys because we really love what they do. And it was a big honor to have Spencer basically be like, hey, I like this. I want to not only put this on my network, I want to produce it for you guys. And he's been a huge help. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the idea that we would have that amount of support and that amount of help this early in the process is really great. And we're happy to be part of that family. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, they, I mean, we can, we can talk about it now. Seth Mansfield and John Stern are the new co-hosts of Constructed Criticism. So if you somehow found our podcast and you didn't find CCMTG along the way, Player of the well, potentially player of the year, and yeah, now Hall of Famer. Yeah, still a playoff. If if not very close to it, but he's already a one-time player of the year. Yeah, he'll be a two-time player of the year, Hall of Famer, and John Stern, who's a pros pro, gold pro. He's someone who I feel like people don't know about because he doesn't like market himself, kind of like Yvonne Flock. But he's a pros pro. Like they all know, like John Stern's my opponent. All right, so yeah. if you're if you don't have to listen to CC, constructive criticism, definitely check them out. Uh, but now. Time for a little segment we like to call Wow, Okay with Trey. So we got some feedback following the episode, uh, our pilot episode, that I was a little negative, that maybe I was a little too angry, and that, uh, you know, so I wanted to maybe switch it up and try to be more positive this week. So we're going to talk about Wizards' return to return to Ravnica. Wow, okay, we're going back to the, hold on, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting some breaking news right now. I was going to try to, hold Watsy has banned Dan Ward for six months for cheating at the Pro Tour. I said I wasn't going to get mad. I was going to try to do a more... Wow! Okay! 
I didn't know that it would be a six-month ban for cheating at the biggest tournament that they have as opposed to three times that for trying to get a free flooded strand. This would be the equivalent of changing the criminal prosecution deadline uh, uh, sentences for uh, setting a dumpster on fire in comparison to setting the Smithsonian on fire full of people. <laughs> that may seem extreme, but I feel extreme about it. Wow, okay, I guess that tournament integrity isn't worth the same as an $81 flooded strand. Wow, okay. Well, everyone, roll with us next time. Okay.